Aside the sheltering leaves of the aloe tree and stares fixedly at Jane Porter. His heart beats faster. Something he knows not what stirs in his breast. This, this M A N is not like the other. Good morning. I love you. Good morning. I love you. You never forget, do you, Tarzan? Never forget. I love you. Love who? Love you. Mm-hmm. Love who? Love Jane. Dayline Jessu is next on the Gridley Wave Network. On tape delay from the Barsoomian Blade Bureau in Chicago, Illinois. Dateline Jassoon, a Panthen Press production. For the fans of Edgar Rice Burroughs and Pulp Adventure, here's your host, Elmo. As you can tell from that introduction, I want to get to some of the discussion of Jane from one of the panels at the ECOF convention in August, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first, I wanted to share with you a recording from the October 1st, 1939 Texaco Star Theater that Ted McCoskey of the ERB Media List website sent to me. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us tonight the man who conceived a character who holds front rank in the popular fiction of our time, the creator of Tarzan, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Thank you, Ken. Well, Mr. Burroughs, it isn't very often that we have the most popular writer in the world on our program. Well, Ken, I'd hardly call myself that. Oh, 25 million copies can't be wrong. But tell us, how did it all happen? Well, Tarzan started off as a thing to keep two bookends apart. And the first thing you know, the darn thing got away from me. <laughs> but, uh, Mr. Burris, we, we don't care how it started. Believe me, it must be a tough life you lead, scouting around the African jungle looking for material. Confidentially, Ken, I've never been to Africa in my life. Now, wait a minute. You, you mean you write about places you've never been to? How about those Mars books? You're not going to stand there and tell me that you have no. No, Ken, I'm ashamed of it. I feel like an old stay-at-home. Boy, it must be swell on Mars. Kenny, nobody's ever been on Mars. You mean to say that Buck Rogers stuff is fiction? (laughs) 
Kenny. This is our guest, Edgar Rice Burroughs, the father of Tarzan. Well, congratulations, Mr. Burroughs. Are you handing out cigars? <laughs> Don't pay any attention to Mr. Burroughs. When he was born, nature declared a brain embargo. Hey, Ken. What? Go on and ask him. Irene, shh. Well, go ahead and ask him. All right. What's all the right. matter, Ken? Oh, nothing. It's nothing at all. I was just talking to my people here. Go away. <laughs> Uh, you know, Mr. Burroughs, of all the books you've written, uh, I believe I like the Tarzan series the best. boy, Kim. Yes. <laughs> you know, I've followed Tarzan in all the comic strips, and I've seen all the movies, and that last one, Tarzan Finds the Sun, that was great. Well, we thought it was pretty good, Ken. Of course, there's always room for improvement. Yes, yes, that, that's the way I feel about it, too. <laughs> there's one thing, of course, I wouldn't like to suggest. Well, that's all right, Ken. Tell me. Oh, you... You probably think I'm silly or conceited. Not at all, Ken. Go right ahead. Well, how about this fellow Weissmuller? Are you completely satisfied with him? <laughs> I, I, I thought maybe somebody else, you know, someone with more... Um... Well, we're pretty happy with Johnny. Good hmm. Tarzans are hard to find. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I guess they must be. Oh, uh, by the way, Mr. Burroughs, I've just had some pictures taken in my bathing trunk. You know, Ken, uh... Tarzan is a powerful he-man. Yeah, that's it. Not out of condition and soft like you and I. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he, he is, isn't he? <laughs> That's why Weissmuller is good. His muscles and his physique haven't gone to pieces yet. Whereas you and I... Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I see what you mean. Oh, Mr. Burroughs, don't you think that Ken Murray would make a wonderful Tarzan? Oh, don't pay any attention to her, Mr. Burroughs. Imagine me playing Tarzan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but Mr. Burroughs, Ken would be the perfect type. Why, he's even been mistaken for Tarzan. Remember at that party, Ken, when you asked that girl to dance and she said, get away, you big ape? <laughs> Irene, for your information, it was Mrs. Martin Johnson. And she just said it from force of habit. Oh. Anyway, Mrs. Burroughs, or Mr. Burroughs. <laughs> Mr. Burroughs, I was very much interested in what you said about Africa. How could you write about strange places like that without ever having been to any of them? Purely imagination, Ken. Before I wrote a word, I used to sit around and dream of weird people and weird places just for my own amusement. Really? The funny, I, I do the same thing. I've written, I've written dozens of stories, in my mind, of course, and I'm always the hero, and I always marry the girl. Well, my stories have happy endings. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ken, why don't you try putting some of those things on paper? Well, now that you bring it up, as a matter of fact, I have. I, I had an idea for a new story about Tarzan, and Jimmy Wallington and Francis Langford are crazy about it. Francis Langford? Somebody calling me? Yeah, Francis, this is Edgar Rice Burroughs. I was telling him about that Tarzan idea I spoke to you about. How do you do, Mr. Burroughs? I've always been a great admirer of your work. And I've always enjoyed your singing very much, Miss Langford. Yes, that's fine. Now, about that idea of mine... Miss I... Langford, I wonder if you'd sing something for us. I'd be delighted. Look, you see, in this idea, I have... What a... idea? Uh, the, the idea about Tarzan, you know. Oh, later, Ken. Go right ahead, Miss Langford. Yeah, go right ahead, Miss Langford. I suppose I'll have to set my idea to music if I want to get any place around here. <laughs> Say, uh, Mr. Burroughs... Yes, Ken. Now, about this play of mine, the Tarzan play. Oh, yes, your play. Mm. Well, Ken, don't forget that plays, pictures, and books about Tarzan are not exactly a novelty to me. But, but this is a different Tarzan play. This is Tarzan in his little nest in the treetop. Tarzan when the cameras aren't grinding. 
I call it the home life of Mr. and Mrs. Tarzan, or Apes of Wrath. Well, Mr. Burroughs, what do you think of my interpretation? I'm at a loss for words, Ken. Incredible is as close as I can come to it. See, I knew you'd love it. Telegram from Mr. Murray. Telegram. Uh, right here, boy. Hey, Ken, who is the wire from? Uh, probably some big producer. I'm so nervous, I can't read it. Here, you take it. It is from a producer. And it says, just heard your performance and would like to use you as the star of my next Tarzan picture. Oh, hey, isn't that wonderful? Oh, I make it. See, I told you, folks. Isn't that swell, Mr. Burris? Well, looks like we're going to work together after all. Tell me, if I star in the picture, what are you going to call it? Tarzan goes to pot. <laughs> <laughs> So, there you have it. I'm sure each of us could have thought of about a thousand better questions to ask Edgar Rice Burroughs, but this was a somewhat scripted, humorous talk, and the main reason I wanted to share it was it gives you a chance to hear the voice of ERB. The Jane panel began with Joan Bledig talking about Tarzan's first sight of Jane. Tarzan is captivated by her. The most wonderful sight of all to him was the face of the beautiful white girl. On page 189, we learn Jane is from Maryland. After Tarzan saves the woman from Sabor and leaves, ERB tells us on page 203 that Jane doesn't lose it after the danger, until after the danger has passed. And now, for Jane Porter, the reaction came, and she threw herself upon the bench, screaming with hysterical laughter. In other words, she's on top of the situation until there's no longer a situation. When she can afford the luxury of panic, she allows herself to do so. On page 211, we find out Jane's mother was also named Jane. Professor Porter's statement to Mr. Philander intimates that Jane's mother died in childbirth or shortly thereafter. Since Jane's 19 at this point in the narrative, Professor Porter says, Forgive me. It hasn't been quite 20 years since he took my other Jane away. Jane shows her love and concern for her father and his well-being as she endeavors, Mr. Philander, to watch over her father. What else do we learn about Jane in Tarzan of the Apes? On 2.33, we discover she has snowy skin, and she loosens the soft mass of golden hair which crowned her head, like a shimmering waterfall turned to burnished metal by a dying sun that fell about her oval face in waving lines. The lower waist just tumbled. Tarzan was spelled out. Next, Joan talks about the note that Tarzan stole from the cabin, which was written by Jane to her friend, Hazel Strong. I had an epiphany about Jane. I discovered something which had gone unnoticed by me for over 50 years. And now to be baffled by strange, uncouth characters, the like of which he had never seen before. Why, they even tipped in the opposite direction from all that he had ever examined, either in printed books, or the difficult script of the few letters he had found. Even the little book bugs of the black book were familiar friends, though their arrangement meant nothing to him. But these bugs were new and unheard of. For 20 minutes he pored over them, when suddenly they commenced to take a familiar, though distorted shape. Ah, 
They were his old friends, but badly crippled. Jane is left-handed. Throughout much of the rest of the first book of Tarzan, Jane spends way too much time rationalizing the pros and cons of a relationship with Tarzan, instead of simply following her heart, until it's too late and she's promised herself to Clayton. Tarzan saves her from the forest fire. She rationalizes even more. But she commits to marrying Clayton and then realizes that she really loves Tarzan. But being honor-bound, she refuses to back out of her promise to Clayton. Tarzan himself is just as honor-bound as Jane. He forgoes claiming his birthright because it would cause Jane to have to live in poverty. And so ends part the first of the love story between Jane and Tarzan. Early in the return of Tarzan, Tarzan tells Darnot, Jane is from an old southern family in America, and southerners pride themselves upon their loyalty. Don't you wish just for once a hero and heroine would just chuck the pride and the loyalty and just get it on? It certainly would have saved a lot of heartache in this case. But then we wouldn't have had the great story that hooked us in the first place. Jane finally does resolve her inner conflict of honor versus love on page 299. She tells Clayton she has been deceiving not only herself but him and she cannot entertain for an instant longer the possibility of ever becoming his wife. Clayton can't believe what his ears have heard. Jane continues, the bravest man that ever lived honored me with his love. Until it was too late, I did not realize that I returned it, so I sent him away. He is dead now, and I shall never marry. I certainly could not wed another less brave than he. The 50 frightful men have to get into the act, too, kidnapping Jane for a lot of sacrifice to the flaming god. Page 345. Tarzan arrives on the scene just in time, tells La she is mine, rescues Jane, who gains consciousness, sees Tarzan, and thinks she has died and gone to heaven. Are we not both dead, my Tarzan, she says on page 249. And on 351, if you are not alive, my man, I pray that I may die thus before I awaken to the terrible realities of my last waking moments. Of course, they're alive. They find Clayton at death's door. He makes restitution, giving Jane and Tarzan the telegram that Tarzan had dropped in the station in Wisconsin so long ago and dies. Tarzan tells her he knew the contents of the message before Clayton did. Her response and I would have thrown away a love like that. Return could end here, but Burroughs neatly tidies everything up by ending the story on a positive note with a double wedding in the shadow of Tarzan's Paris cabin, performed by Jane's father, who we now find out was ordained a minister in his youth. Joan also spoke about some of the other Tarzan novels, of course, where Jane makes appearances, Jewels of Opar, Untamed, and notably Tarzan the Terrible, where Jane really does learn some of uh, that jungle craft that allows her to survive on her own in the jungle and really does become uh, quite the uh, the jungle woman, in a sense, in her, in her own right. And then Joan gets to one of her favorite Tarzan novels because of its emphasis on Jane. Now to the last book of my Jane saga, Tarzan's Quest. 
I'd like to comment that I don't know when the adventures in this book are supposed to take place, but I feel the adventures presented here happened much earlier in the Tarzan saga than being the 19th book in the series would have us believe, perhaps even before the birth of their son, Korak. And if anybody has comments on this afterwards, I'd love to hear them. As Princess Zvorov's party's plane is at the mercy of a fierce storm on page 29, Jane remains calm in the face of danger, which certainly impresses the pilot Brown. And after the plane crashes in the treetops, Jane is the first one out of the plane to assess their situation. She steps along a branch to the baggage compartment, salvages a pair of shorts, and then swings lightly to a lower branch and disappears from view beneath the ship. Hey, exclaimed Brown admiringly. She's as much at home in the trees as a monkey. I never saw anything like it. On page 48, Jane takes command. I know the jungle better than any of you. And on page 50, Jane swings toward the ground below. The restrictions of an ordered society, the veneer of civilization, fell away, leaving her free, and she sensed this new freedom with a joy that she had not felt since she left the jungle to return to London. Page 86 shows Jane as an accomplished archer. She fashions a bow and arrows, outstrips Brown, heads into the trees, and disappears. She's sure got guts, said Brown. And did you see the way she took to them trees? Just like a monkey. Wait a minute, didn't he already say that on page 29? I thought all the time, until just before we crashed, that she was just another one of them silly society dames that had never had anything in their noodle heavier than champagne bubbles. But believe me, I take my hat off to her now, and you can believe me when I say I'd take orders from a dame. She's got to be some dame. Much later in the book, on page 216, Brown marvels at Jane's strength, endurance, and nerve. She was not at all the sort of person that he had imagined a titled Englishwoman would be. He had never followed a man in whom he had greater confidence, or for whom he had more respect than this slender, beautiful lady of quality. Jane has virtually single-handedly kept this party alive now due to her abilities, but even she, unfortunately, is not immune to the spell of the Kavuros. Jane falls victim to Ogley and is taken to the Kavuru city. She may be down, but don't count her out just yet. Believing Tarzan is unaware of her situation, she has to depend wholly upon her own resources. The frail straw, perhaps, of ugly, seeming infatuation, this she must nurse. And further on, page 275, by her wits, she must turn the circumstance to her advantage without paying the price. Jane refuses to acknowledge Kavanda Vanda on page 281 as superior to her and uses her wits to manipulate him against Ogden, thereby ensuring escape for her and Annette. But Tarzan and Brown come to the rescue of their respective significant others, but it is Jane who delivers the coup d'etat. She turned to Brown. We all risked our lives, she said, and two of us died in a mad search for the secret of eternal youth. It is in this room. <clears throat> Do you care to take the few seconds it will require to get it? Do I, exclaimed Brown, and how? Lead me to it. And so Jane, Tarzan, Brown, Annette, Tibbs, and little Nikima return to civilization with the secrets of the Kavubu in their possession. 
I wonder if Tarzan, Jane, and Nikima took those pills and are still alive today, enjoying life in the second 100 years of Tarzan. Thank you. The next panelist was Huck, Huckenbowler, and he spoke about Jane as portrayed in the movies. We start out with Tarzan of the Apes, 1918, Elmo Lincoln, and Enid Markey. Enid Markey was, I believe, 15 at the time she played the role. Uh, played it pretty much as Burroughs had written it. She's fresh out of Baltimore, doesn't know squat about the jungle, but is willing to learn. There's a lot of Janes in the, in the later teens and the 20s that I have not seen, so I, I can, cannot say anything about them. The first one, of, the next one that I'm aware of is Dorothy Dunbar, who played opposite Burroughs' uh, son-in-law, James Pierce, in Tarzan of the Golden Lion. The plot of the, of the, of the movie varied considerably from the plot of the book. As you can, you can gather from the photographs in the four illustrations in the photoplay edition of Tarzan and the Golden Lion. However, the Jane of Tarzan and the Golden Lion is pretty much a Edgar Rice Burroughs Jane. And this is true throughout the Tarzan, the silent period. Uh, the, next, the next one that I know of is Natalie Kingston, who played opposite Frank Merrill in Tarzan the Tiger, which is basically Tarzan and the Jewels of Opar. With the beginning of the sound period, we, we, we get away from the books. Of course, everybody's favorite Jane is Maureen O'Sullivan. Love Jane. Uh, I think she's everybody's favorite Jane. She's very much like the Jane of, of Terrible and Quest. Love Jane. She picks up jungle lore very quickly. Tarzan. Uh, You're a bad boy. And appears in Tarzan the Ape Man, 1932, Tarzan and his mate, 34. Tarzan escapes 36, Tarzan finds a son in 39, Tarzan's secret treasure in 41, and Tarzan's New York adventure in 42. I think she is probably the most prolific Jane of all the ones that I'm familiar with. She was replaced by Brenda Joyce in the last couple of uh, last couple of Weissmores, and was the only Jane to play opposite two Tarzans, Weissmore and Lex Barker. With with the, with uh, Brenda Joyce, you begin to see the domestication of Jane. We're coming into the 1950s, the, the period of Ozzie and Harriet, uh, Leave It to Beaver, and uh, you get in this period you get a whole series of Janes that to me are virtually indistinguishable. Vanessa Brown, Tarzan and the Slave Girl, Virginia Houston in Tarzan's Peril, Dorothy Hart in Tarzan's Savage Fury. Joyce McKenzie in Tarzan and the She-Devil, and Eve Brent in Tarzan's Fight for Life. They are all typical 1950s housewives. The, 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 the treehouse has its elevator, it has running water, it has the whole, the, el the elephant elevator, of course. The whole 1950s package. And the, the next new Jane is Joanna Barnes, who played opposite Denny Miller in the, the second Tarzan the Ape Man. Uh, this, is, this is a preppy Jane. 
This is this is uh, certainly more Joanna Barnes than Jane. <laughs> Turkey, would you say? Turkey would, would be one description, yes. Uh, then we have a gap. Uh, most of the most of the Gordon Scott movies and all of the Jock Mahoney movies did not have Jane. So the next Jane Jane we have is Bo Derek, the third Tarzan the Eight Man, opposite Miles and Keith. Other than the tendency to, to lose articles of clothing, she was in fact. Fairly close to ERB's Jane. There, that's it. We'll make him better. It's going to be all right. Are you Tarzan? One hundred feet tall? Maybe a thousand? The great white ape. You're just a man. I've never touched a man before. She was a spunky, willing to learn the ways of the jungle, but, as I say, tended to lose articles of clothing. <laughs> Now, that's a picture I had, Steve. I like that one. Uh, the gentleman, I really don't like that one. Uh, Personal collection. <laughs> downloaded downloaded, downloaded off the web, actually. <laughs> the next Jane we have is Andy McDowell in Greystoke, 1984. I personally liked Andy McDowell. She, it's, it's just a shame that they mess, messed up the character when they, uh, they dubbed the voice. She, she would have had the perfect voice for Jane. Uh, they dubbed in an English accent. How could he recognize me, Uncle? We've never met. Welcome home, Lord Clayton. Ah, of course, of course. I keep thinking he's my son. <laughs> this is Jane from America. My ward. I'm looking after her. This is Monsieur Dano. Monsieur Dano, it's a great day for us. Sir Evelyn told us all you've done for Lord Clayton. No more than he has done for me. She, to, to me, is one of the near misses. Next one we come up with is Jane March in Tarzan and the Lost City, which should have been Return of Tarzan, but was not quite. Very clever of you to lead us away from him, Miss Porter. Rather pathetic ploy, though. Might I suggest you lead us back to him to avoid great discomfort to yourself? No amount of discomfort can make me assist you in your insane actions, Mr. Ravens. Be reasonable. And how long do you think you'd survive out here by yourself? Lead us back to Clayton. We'll help him, too, if he's still alive. You're a liar as well as a coward. I'll never help you. Again, it's a near miss. She's a good Jane in a mediocre movie. And finally, and not quite least, but very close to it, Minnie Driver in the Disney Tarzan. 
I see. We're flying wild bat in a loincloth. She is a flippity chippet. A flake. Uh, ADHD squared, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to... That's your scholarly opinion. That's right? my scholarly opinion. Tell me how you actually feel. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold back. <laughs> Cole Richardson talked about how the comic books have portrayed Jane. My task is formidable to extract from selected newspaper panels and as an example, Foster alone did more than 300 Sunday pages. And, starting with the Dell comic books, more than 350 issues by my count of U.S. published comics or trade paperbacks, uh, of which a fraction, and I do not know the fraction, feature Mrs. Clayton as an active character. Instead, I propose to offer highlights, somewhat as Joan did, of Jane's comic appearances, and for brevity, I will begin with her portrayal during the Gold Key years, when she was limbed by Western Publishing's Gaylord Dubois. I must point out as a prelude that in her Dell appearances, Dubois portrays Mrs. Clayton as similar to a movie Jane, a Brenda Joyce clone, if you will, mistress of the treehouse, brown-haired, and mother to a son named Boy, not Korak. She is a 1940s housewife, was my guess, you said 50s, and not a woman seamlessly adapted to the jungle milieu. Within the Gold Key series, Dubois chose to adapt many of ERB's novels in addition to creating his own episodes. I have chosen three of ERB's tales overlapping Joan, wherein Jane gets to voice herself to examine the extent of Dubois' adaptation. In Jewels of Opar, which ran from August to September 66, let's pick up the narrative. After Jane escapes from Ahmed Sek's camp, she's startled by a Mangani at a clearing's edge, which is conveniently being observed from the other side by Zek and a few of his henchmen. She flees across the clearing into Zek's clutches, then exclaims, You, you murderer, take your hands off me! When an amnesiac Tarzan and a Mangani troop drop into the clearing, she exclaims, John, John, thank heaven you've come in time. In time for what, one wonders. When Tarzan and the apes are struck down by Arab bullets, she sobs in grief as Zek carries her to horse and away. That night, Taglet, the ape, garbed in burnous, finds Jane's hut prison and surprises her by falling through the thatched roof. When she recognizes a Mangani, she cooperates in her perceived rescue, believing the ape is under Tarzan's direct orders. In issue number 161, it's, the story says much later, Jane regains consciousness. I'm not sure why she lost consciousness. So Dubois missed that in his writing. Um, to see a lion pawing Taglet's corpse, she remains inert, not reacting, to avoid alerting the lion, who is distracted by his prey, or her prey. I guess it's a male. She rolls silently and intermittently toward a tree until the lion detects her movement and roars. Then she leaps to her feet and makes it to the lower branches in the nick of time. To me, it seems that Dubois is sticking with ERB's original depiction of Jane um, as generally observant, 
willing to voice outrage, but submissive when confronted. Your comments would be appreciated during the Q&A. In Tarzan the Terrible, which ran from March to May 67, let's zoom in to where Jane is being handled by the Hodan high priest. Tarzan attempts to intervene and is trapped. After he falls into a pit below, Jane continues to fight until Jadon, the son of the chief, directs her to the forbidden garden to await marriage to his father. There, Jane, Oloa, and Panatli are commiserating together on their impending forced marriages. Mosar appears, carries Jane off to the docks, presumably, because next in the next panel, after the party has left that canoe and Mozar is dozing, Jane, unbound in this panel, slips overboard to freedom. During her escape and evasion, she fabricates a flinthead spear, drives Lieutenant Oberguts off with it, and brings down game to supplement her diet. After reuniting with Tars, she is recaptured and returned to the Hodan's Griff Temple, where she watches passively while son Jack's marksmanship saves the day. Jane seems to be demonstrating her developing survival skills, as you pointed out, and showing initiative at seizing escape opportunities. But she still seems less than fully self-actualized to me. The torture's past, and Joe Kubert, or Kubert, as DC Comics' editor, artist, and writer, was not one to mess with the ERB franchise. He did not alter Jane's persona in Apes, running April to July 72, nor in Return, April to September 73. Greystoke announces his departure for Opar, to which Jane opines, I'd rather live in poverty always than have you risk the hideous perils of Opar. That's, that's got to be Burroughs' words. Yeah. He stifles any further protest by kissing her mouth, picking her up, and debauching to their bedroom. Tarzan, you're a bad boy. In issue number four in September, Ahmed Zek's band assault the plantation house to seize Lady Greystoke for ransom. Initially from the porch and later through the splintering door, Jane coolly aims and picks off one rusher after another. What a woman. When Mugambi falls and Jane is taken, she rebukes Zek. You filthy scum! You've killed, killed him! Killed all of them! That's a verbatim quote. Thomas, with regard to Jane's depiction, breaks no new ground. Her persona is portrayed faithful to ERB's jewels, I believe. The Marvel team has to be Marvel, however. In terms of putting a hook on each cover, issue number 10 of the 11 book series based loosely on jewels, the cover promises the deadly peril of Jane Clayton. And it shows a, a small shot of reluctant Jane and Taglat's clutches. Let me jump quickly to the real comics, the daily strips. And the Sunday funnies, I have an example of a revisionist portrait of Jane extracted 
This sequence is panels number 3521 through 3536 from 14 February to 23 May of 99. It was penned by our own Al Gross and drawn by Gray Morrow and subtitled Jane's Quest. The plot starts with Tarzan falling comatose while on domestic duty in the bungalow. In the opening panels, Jane is tearful and passive. She quickly decides that John's survival rests upon her taking action instead of relying on the hospital staff who have yet to make a diagnosis. Her quest takes her first to seek out and query some Mangani, which her linguistic difficulties don't provide her with mostly frustration. By week six, she has gone on to Opar. After calling Law out from concealment and explaining the situation, Law relents, directs her to a shaman of her knowledge, and allows Jane to escape. The shaman tests Jane's will. She passes, and he extracts some blood from her palm and prepares a blood-based potion. She returns to Nairobi, circumvents hospital security, administers the potion, and revives the aid man. Jane's courage, physical condition, insightful reasoning, and initiative save her spouse. Truly a woman of the 90s, I suppose. Okay, I think that's about all the time we're going to have for today's show. I want to thank our panelists, Joan Bledig, Huck Huckenpoller, and Cole Richardson. The panel was organized and moderated at the convention by Bruce Salen, so thanks to him. One more panelist, Jim Haddock, spoke about Jane as she appears in pastiches and fan fiction, and that's a good topic that is close to my heart, so I am going to use that on a future show. Uh, we played some uh, sound bites of Maureen O'Sullivan and Johnny Weissmiller from Tarzan and His Mate, Bo Derek from Tarzan the Ape Man, and that was the voice of Glenn Close as Jane in Greystoke. She was the one who dubbed uh, Jane's voice for Andy McDowell. Jane March played Jane in Tarzan in the Lost City, and Minnie Driver was Jane in Disney's Tarzan. I think all of these movies are available on video, so check them out on Amazon.com or wherever you go for your Tarzan videos. At the beginning of the show, I also played a soundbite from the 1932 Tarzan radio serial. I also want to thank our very special guest, coming to you from 1939, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Good Tarzans are hard to find. I'll talk to you in two weeks. This is Elmo from the Barsoomian Blade Bureau in Chicago, signing off. She is a flippity chip.